First Peter 4, verses 1 to 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. just means I have to stay close to here instead of walking around today, which is quite all right. I'm going to give you a little hint in what happens in a pastor's life as they prepare for a sermon. I'm going to draw back the curtain a little bit. And maybe not every pastor, but this pastor in particular, when I'm preparing for a sermon, one of the things that I find is that I need to get out and walk when I'm thinking about a sermon. So I have things that are in my mind and I'm reading scripture and I'm contemplating those things, but it's always better for me to get out and walk and figure out what's really going on in my head. It clears my mind. And usually when I'm walking, I will end up at a place. And at that place, I'll sit down, maybe get a cup of coffee uh, and and relax. And I'll sit there and read and, and think and try and figure out where is God talking to me in this and where is my heart moving? And so I did that again this week, as I normally do. I got up and I walked around and I was just kind of going through Fremantle and that's always good and you're hearing people talk and you're walking through where people are at and you're trying to figure out what's happening and what's going on. And I finally came to a particular establishment that I really hadn't been to in a long time. And I went in and I sat down uh, and I began to work. And I recognized that it had been such a long time that I'd been there that I didn't have their Wi-Fi code anymore. And so I couldn't get on Wi-Fi as my devices didn't have the correct password. So I had to go up to the, the, the counter and say, um, I know I'm not ordering anything, but is there a way for me to get the Wi-Fi code? And so I did. I, I got the Wi-Fi code from them. And in doing that, uh, I sat there for uh, about another hour and just kind of enjoyed myself and was reading and writing notes and trying to figure out what was going on. 
And then I got up to leave because I needed to get back to the house and, and start, you know, preparing for family things. And as I was walking out, Robin and Jess, who are two ladies that work in this particular establishment, who I'd seen many times over the two, over the three years that I've lived here, uh, came up to me and stopped me before I walked out the door. And Robin looked at my face and she said, um, is something different about you? And she didn't want to say it because you don't ever want to say it because that might be rude to say it. But she was basically saying, you used to be fat and now you're not. <laughs> well, maybe not that harshly. But she noticed something different. And so she said, is there something different? About, and I said, yeah, I've lost a lot of weight. And she's like, oh, okay, that is what it is. That's what I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. And then what I've discovered is inevitably the next question is now, is that a, a good thing? Because, you know, that's a good question. To ask. And yes, it was on purpose. I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to be more healthy. But she noticed something different. She knew who I was. She couldn't quite put my finger on it. She knew she had seen me before, uh, but I looked different. That's where we're at in this passage. That's what Peter is talking to these folks. And it's actually the theme that has been going on all along, even since the beginning of the book of one Peter. Remember, he calls and says that we are exiles, that we are not of this place, but we are of something else, that there is something different about us than to the world around us. Not that there's separation, not that we've been removed from the world. As a matter of fact, he says, you're residents in the world. You might still be slaves in this world. You're both still keeping your role as wife or husband or as person within this world. But you are different. And Peter speaks to that in this passage. He's saying to them, look, since you have suffered with Christ, since Christ, therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer from human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past sufficed for doing what the Gentiles had done. You used to be this way, but now you are this way. You used to look like this, but now you look like this. And so what does it mean for us to be people who are different? What does it mean for us to be those exiles who are also heirs, who are children of God? And what does it mean for you if you're here and you're not quite in that place yet? What does it mean for you to hear these words being spoken about? What do you mean you're different than the world? Why would you want to be different than the world? Well, I hope that in the process of this message that you will hear God's love reaching out to you, that you will see that he knows who you are and knows who you should be, that there's a brokenness that happens in our lives and that he is the restorer of that brokenness to move us into whole relationship with him, with ourselves, with everyone else and with place. And so what we're going to look at is what this thing is that we don't do anymore that causes us suffering, actually, and what it means to serve within the gospel life. So let's jump into this first part. 
that says you used to live this way. This time has passed. And he gives us this list of living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And then he tells us that with respect to these, people are surprised when you don't do it anymore. They look at you and say, you're, you're different. Now, some of you are sitting there, I know, and you're thinking to yourself, none of those, never did any of those, not part of my proclivity, not something that I'm attuned to, not something that I've experienced at all. Good, good for you. That's not the point. <laughs> That's not the list. He's not giving you that list to say, these are the things you need to avoid and every other thing you shouldn't do. You should do. It's free to do. No, what he's pointing out that in this particular place, at this particular time, that these things that he's speaking about actually spring from worship of the emperor. See, what we see happening here is Peter is calling out and saying, you're different because you no longer worship the emperor. What took place here is the emperor set himself up as a god. And he said, I want you to celebrate me and I want you to worship me. And the way that I want you to worship me is by having an all-out party. Or what we would say is a party. And so there was temple prostitutes and there was orgies and there was drunkenness and there was feast and there was gluttony and there were all these things. But it all had to do with worshiping the emperor. And it was mandated. You had to participate. And in fact, if you didn't participate, then they looked at you and said, you're a rebel. You're moving against the emperor. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not conforming to where we're at. He says, yes, that's what's going to happen. When you move from no longer being part of this world, but being an heir of the kingdom, being in exile here, then you are going to change. Your life will be different. And it should be recognized. We talked last week about the fact that people, when they see us living lives of sweet aroma of God's life, that they are either drawn to it or they are repelled from it. And here again, what Peter is saying is that as they repel in it, you need to be prepared to suffer. That people are going to say to you, not in the way that I was talked to by Robin and Jess, oh, you look different in a good way, but they will say to you, you're different. And we should take that as a badge of honor, knowing that we have armed ourselves to suffer with Christ. That people will say that we act differently, that we think differently, that we move differently. But why is it that that is the case? Well, see, we all have little emperors in our lives. Those little emperors that like to sit on the thrones of our lives. And those little emperors are usually called by one name, me. I like to be the emperor of my life. I like to do the things that I want to do. And so maybe for you, orgies and drunkenness and, and all those things aren't the ways that you celebrate the emperor of me in your life. Maybe the way that you celebrate the emperor of you in your life is the fact that you think I'm better than everybody else. See, I keep the rules exactly the way they should be, or at least the way I think they should be. And by doing that, I am holy and I am right. 
But in the end, all you're doing is elevating yourself, that little emperor me sitting on the throne of your heart going, yay for me, yay for me. Sin, when we think about it, is a departure from what God has created in good. As a matter of fact, what he's really talking about here is you've taken my goodness. God, God says you've taken the good things that I've provided and you have corrupted them in a way that brings you glory as opposed to bringing me glory. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, indeed, the only way in which I can make real to myself what theology teaches about the heinousness of sin is to remember that every sin is the distortion of an energy breathed into us. An energy which, if not thus distorted, would have blossomed into one of those holy acts wherefore God did it and I did it are both true descriptions. We poison the wine that he decants into us. We murder the melody that he plays with us as an instrument. We caricature the self-portrait he would paint. Hence, all sin, whatever it is, is sacrilege. It is turning what is holy into the unholy by moving the emperor and ruler and creator of the world off of our hearts and putting little emperor me in that place. See, and it can be those things. When we think about the goodness that God gives us, let's just talk about orgies, shall we? That's not something you hear every Sunday from the pulpit. God has given us intimate relations in monogamous lives between husbands and wives in a way to bring Him glory and honor. But when we move away from the intimacy and the mystery and the spiritualness of it, and we place in it instead our pleasure and our own desires, then it begins to corrupt us. And we maybe seek only that. Like I said before, maybe it's that sense of rightness. Now, it's not bad to desire to be right. That's a good thing. God wants us to seek after righteousness. But it's when we recognize that the call to righteousness is far beyond anything that we could do, so we begin to lower what that call is so that we can personally attain it ourselves, that we take that good instinct within our own heart that God has put for us to desire righteousness and justice, and we corrupt it so that we can attain it. And that good gift of God becomes sin. Our idols that we have in our lives, those things that we place, those things that are ultimately just shadows of the little emperor me that we put on our hearts, those idols always start off as good things that we allow and we ourselves corrupt. And so that's the reason why Peter says to us, you're dead to those things. You've moved beyond those things. The gospel has come, transitioned and transformed you. And it is hard. It is hard on our own selves. And that's why we are gathered together. Because God says you need one another to encourage one another in this walk. If you're left to your own devices, you will always put yourselves on your own heart. Even in the good things. 
And so you need one another to encourage one another, to speak the gospel truth to one another, because it is suffering. But outside of that, as we look at this group of exiles, remember, these are folks who were following in this path. This was their everyday normal life. And then what? No longer they're doing it. Completely transitioned and changed. Some of you are here, you're not on this path yet. And so I, I just need to speak real quickly to those who are. We do a disservice to the grace that God provides for us when we think that we get to have everything work out for us well by following Jesus. It doesn't. Peter is telling us you will suffer. Arm yourself and be prepared for it. That's not a great way to draw people in necessarily. We want to say everything's fine and everything will be hunky-dory and everything's perfection. But it's not. It's hard for us to follow God. It's hard for us to step into those places that he calls us to step into. Why? Well, because we like little emperor me sitting on our heart. So how does he move us out of that? Well, he moves us from suffering into service. That beautiful place where he calls us to, he says, look, the end of all things are at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. Control yourself, allow the spirit to walk in you, and be thinking the thoughts that I have, God says. Think the thoughts that I possess. Draw upon what I am doing. And again, he reminds them, this is for the sake of your prayers. Our communication, our relationship is uplifted and sustained by you walking in the way that I'm leading you by the Spirit. And then he tells us a couple of things here. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins, and show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Notice that here's what happens. The list that he'd given about emperor worship and for us recognizing that we're our emperors is all focused on self. And how we serve is we turn our gaze outward and focus on those that are around us. We move to a place where we look out and move to love those who are around us or have hospitality to those who are around. And it's not a thing of if, it's a thing of when. It's, this is not a thing that we get to choose to do. <laughs> it's when we do this. When we turn our gaze to those who are outside of ourselves. That we begin to pursue them in that same relentless love that God pursued us. That returns to relationships. That in fact, that love that is pursuant in covering over a multitude of sins, it's not saying that if you love a lot, then you can sin a lot. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is oftentimes what sin does, and it always does this, is it brings bondage. What sin does is it brings uh, disintegration of relationship. And love rebuilds. Love brings freedom. So it covers over that disintegration. It transforms it and changes it. And then hospitality, but without grumbling. 
How many of you have hosted people in your house? Or perhaps you've helped out with tea here. And people just don't quite get the cups to you soon enough. And you get a little grumbly. Or, or perhaps you're at your house, and for some reason you decided it would be good to host a birthday party for 10, 20 kids that are under 10. And they leave. And you look at the house. John Dennis, who's a pastor, says this when he was writing out what the church should be about. He said, the key is hospitality. That's the beginning. And it doesn't matter if you live in an apartment or a dorm room or a house. Once a week, open your home. Bake a few cookies. Say hello in the elevator. Checking up on an older neighbor or borrowing sugar from the next apartment, even if you don't need it. Yes, the city can be a place of isolation. But it may be that through our doors, all kinds will come. Those who are hungry or intellectually questioning or a colleague in crisis, a student from a far off land. It may be that God's new people from the nations will sit around our table. And it may be us having a shared meal and having tasted of Christ. Their own table will be open to the gospel. Hospitality is not something we do overly pragmatically. We don't practice hospitality in order to get conversions. We practice hospitality because it's the right thing to do. We practice hospitality because we are God's people. We share God's goodness through our own homes, our own churches, our own lives, because God has shown his goodness to us. All our hospitality is, is God's grace overflowing the thresholds of our homes. That's what he's saying here. That we move from suffering into service because we've done away with the little emperor me and we've put the emperor God on our own heart, which calls us to move forward in his love and hospitality. And then he says that you've been given a gift to do that. God says, I've not left you alone to do it. I've equipped you to do it. So some are equipped with speaking and some are equipped with service. And I would say this, in this particular passage, he's not breaking it down that succinctly. He's actually saying, your service should always be about speaking and service. <laughs> you proclaim my love with your words and you proclaim my love with your actions. And the place where we get hooked up sometimes is, well, where does that happen? Can I find that little spot that I can make it happen? How do I work that into my diary, right? Where is it going to take place? Birchner puts it this way. The place God calls you to is the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. See, what he's saying there is this that there's a place that God has designed for you before the foundations of the world. Both you who are here that are following Christ and those who are investigating. Listen, there's a place that God before the foundation of the world has designed for you where you will feel your deepest gladness and it will be perfectly fitted to where the world around you has its deepest hunger. Catch that. God in his infinite wisdom and beauty is so good at this 
because he knows the foundations of the world. He knows what will make you fly and how you flying will meet the deepest need of those around you. And we do it by word and action. Springing from our love for God and our love for those that he has put into our lives and the hospitality that we show. We serve with word and deed in that way. And what happens when we begin to serve is this magical thing, this spiritual uplifting, this transformation where that little emperor me who continues to battle for that place on our heart slowly gets kicked out more and more often. Not so that we'll become perfect, but so that God, what, will receive the glory and honor. Right? What does he say there at the end? Whoever serves is the one who serves in the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you see how rebellious Peter is being? <laughs> he calls us to rebel against the little emperor me. And he empowers us to do so through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that these words are your words, that you will hear them, that they will bring you glory and honor, and that in them they will take deep root in our hearts and they will transform us and change us. Father, thank you. You are good to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.